moving where? Everwood, Colorado. everybody Angela Bowen here the host of I left my heart in Everwood on Everwood podcast how's everyone doing today I hope your new year your January is going well hopefully if you don't like snow you're not getting a lot of it which we don't seem to be getting too too much which is good this podcast is a bi-weekly podcast so twice a month I will be discussing episodes of the WB show Everwood, which ran from 2002 to 2006, four seasons, 89 episodes, and I will be watching them, of course, in chronological order, just kind of reviewing them, going through them, giving my thoughts. I've seen the first three seasons, but I kind of dipped in and out of season four. I kind of drifted off, so... Well, the first two seasons are pretty fresh in my mind. The last two seasons, three and four, kind of are kind of a blur. Like I don't really remember a whole lot about them. I know in season three, we get a couple new characters. And I think in season four, there might have been a couple new characters as well. Before I talk about today's episode, of course, I would like to let you know where you can follow along with the podcast. It does have a Facebook page. At, at I Left My Heart in Everwood, an Everwood podcast. You can search for that. If you're looking for this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you will only be able to find it if you search The Wonder Years. This podcast, along with the Growing Pains Show Me That Smile Again podcast, the She's a Small Wonder podcast, the Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere podcast, the all those, and of course, the All My Land to Holy Chalupas podcast, you can find under the Looking Back on My Wonder Years and Wonder Years podcast. That is where you're going to find these shows. <clears throat> so, today, I've, I've already covered the pilot, so the next episode, of course, that we are going to look at today is... Season 1, Episode 2, entitled The Great Dr. Brown, which aired on September 23rd, 2002. This date holds a lot of significance for me because this is the day that I started working at the video store, which is now long gone, but that marked a change in my life because it would later lead me to the man who I would meet, who I would later call my husband. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Also, the best way to look for this podcast is going to be the SoundCloud app or the podcast app or looking back on my wonder years, I believe is on Podbean. It's not an official. I only go through SoundCloud, but, um, I noticed that it is up there, so that's another way to check it out. And for the year of 2020, this podcast is just going to be twice a month. I have a lot of other podcasts, a lot of other shows that I work on, so. All right, that being said, let's 
get the synopsis here. This one's from IMDb. Andy and Ephraim's fragile relationship is further strained when it appears that Andy is once again putting work before family. Meanwhile, as the town of Everwood celebrates its annual Fall Thal Festival, Ephraim's interest in Amy continues to blossom and Delia gets into trouble at school for questioning her teacher's antiquated rules. Alright, here's a synopsis from the DVD booklet. Yep, that's my dud. <laughs> oh, God. Ephraim is angered when his dad again sacrifices family time for work. In addition, the teen suspects Amy's friendship has a price attached. And come one, come all to the Fall Thaw Festival. I gotta say, I kind of like this description better than the IMDb one. Alright, so the pilot episode on IMDb had a rating of 8.2. The second episode has a 7.5 out of 10 based on 77 ratings. And I believe it looks like we may meet Rose Abbott, Amy and Bright's mother and Harold Abbott's, Dr. Harold Abbott's wife. We did not meet her in the pilot, so. This episode, the Kathy Bates directed this episode? Seriously? Oh my god! I didn't know she was a director? This is wild! Oh, she directed 10 things. Okay, let's see. Any other TV shows? <clears throat> she directed an episode of NYPD Blue in 97. Something called Homicide Life on the Street in 96. Uh, Dash and Lily TV movie in 99. An episode of Oz in 98. An episode of Everwood in 2002. Six Feet Under, she directed five episodes. And Fargo the TV movie. There's a TV movie based on the movie? I don't know. Ambulance Girl in 2005. And Something Called Have Mercy in 2006. Okay, so it's been about 14 years since she directed it. That is pretty cool because this is only like the second episode. Wow. All right. Let's see. Let's get into some trivia. Uh, we got a couple pieces. Let's see. Dr. Brown's BMXX or BMW X5 has changed from one in the original pilot, likely due to increased budget when this show was picked up. Changes include larger wheels, black window trim instead of... My god, okay, whoever put this here is a big fan of cars, because I don't know what any of this poopla poop means. It's a car. That's all that means to me. Ephraim is given a nickname by Amy, Ham, which stands for Hamlet, who Amy thinks Ephraim looks like. Uh, okay. Amy lets him know that her nickname is Grover because he was her favorite blue Muppet on Sesame Street. You know, definitely... I like Grover over Cookie Monster when it comes to Blue Muppets. I really, really do. And apparently we learned Bright is deathly afraid of heights. Well, then, then maybe that's why he's not on the Ferris wheel then. We got some connections. The Wizard of Oz, Edna says Munchkin, The Red Shoes, Harold Munchins by Name, a movie from 1948. Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, referenced by Amy. Marcus Welby, M.D., mentioned, referenced by Dr. Abbott, Sesame Street. Amy lets Ephraim know that her nickname is Grover. The land that time forgot, Ephraim says, this really is the town that time forgot. Hello Kitty's Furry Tale Theater. Amy mentions Hello Kitty. Amy mentions Strawberry Shortcake. 
And Delia watches Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and then has a nightmare in which her teacher turns into a a blueberry, as happens in the film. That's right! We do have a uh, R.I.P. for um, the lady who played uh, Violet Beauregard. We do have a soundtrack. Leader of the band performed by Dan Fogelman. What? Oh, Fogelberg. I think Fogelman because I um, watched This Is Us and I guess one of the guy, the showrunners' names is Dan Fogelman. So my eyes were playing a trick on me. Like, no, it's Fogelberg. Like, okay. There, there's no reviews. Okay. Well, that's that's not a problem. Alright guys, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to dive into this episode. It's been a a few weeks since I recorded the last one, and I'm just, I am ready to get back into this series because I love it so, so much. Very near and dear to my heart. I know I say that about a lot of shows I cover on my many podcasts, but this one just really, this is, this came out the year before the OC and One Tree Hill. And what's funny is I got into the Everwood before the OC. And then, of course, I didn't get into One Tree Hill until, like, 2000, summer of 2005. So, but, yeah, I am I am ready. I am so excited to just dive right into the show again. Also, real quick, just a reminder that all four seasons of Everwood are currently available to stream on Hulu. So we do have the opening quote from Irv, who plays the narrator, throughout, I believe, all four seasons, or at least three of them. The family doctor, an icon of the American experience. For generations, they've mended our wounds and warmed our hearts. In my lifetime, Andy Brown was just about the best example I ever knew of one. Dr. Wise, that is. As for the family, half... As for the family half of the job title, he was a bit rough around the edges. And for that. So the picture, of course, I did find out that it was, in fact, a Norman Rockwell painting entitled Doctor and the Doll. Which looks like it was commissioned on March 9th of 1929. Okay. So the website here uh, talks about the artwork real quick. It's a Saturday evening post cover, March 9th, 1929. The doctor who applies a stethoscope to a young girl's doll is attempting to uh, acknowledge her world of enchantment. The expression on his face is as serious and concerned as it might be if he were examining the girl herself. Such a willingness to place professional expertise at the feet of childhood magic serves to remind us again of things we have forgotten secret kingdoms inhabited by imaginary beings whose needs seemed as real as those of the people around us rockwell's physician may appear to take the doll's health seriously as an effort to gain the child's confidence and trust but his act of sympathy is also one of grace accepting his patient's needs with serenity okay this is neil harris from norman rockwell pictures for the american people 1999 okay so basically i guess that's just a quote from uh neil harris not neil patrick harris but neil harris and i like in a way that this does kind of symbolize uh dr andy brown's methods of kind of he's he's cheery he's warm and kind of like what's the word i'm looking for um 
compared to Dr. Harold Abbott, where he's going to be more, I guess, if you want to put it semi-off-putting, maybe a little cold and um, non-sympathetic. He just seems like he would not put a child at ease. We don't, from what I remember watching the show, other than him acting, um, being around his daughter, you know, his teenage daughter and son... Um, there was an episode where he was in a play and Delia was in the play and it's just, he, Dr. Abbott is one who is a no-nonsense character and other than Delia, you don't see him interacting with any other children of her age or younger or anything, it just seems like, so. (laughs) So you got a doctor that's kind of, you know, nice and warm and then you have the, um, the cold abrasive doctor. <laughs> so as Irv is narrating this, because I believe later on it is revealed that all of this is in a book that he's writing. And we see the Brown family, um, Andy, Ephraim, and Delia sitting down to dinner. Probably one of the first that they've really gotten a chance to sit down to as a family. Because remember, when he was in New York, he was always working. His wife was the one that took care of all of this. Now it's it, it's different. And this is going to be the new norm, unfortunately. He's a doctor. And what the doctor does come responsibilities. Not only that, but he's in a new town. So, And he just told these people in the last episode, Look, I'm not charging you. If you have an ailment, just come to me and I will help you. I will find out what it is. I will get you on the right track to perfect health, and I'm not going to charge you. So, of course, if somebody calls in with an emergency, basically, this guy's on call all the time. He's got to make He's got to show face. He's new in town. He wants to make sure he's good on his word. That his reputation of a big New York City doctor kind of precedes him and everything and mind you again like i said in new york julia his now deceased wife did the cooking and he really doesn't seem to know his way around an oven or kitchen as he sets down some black and charred mess that probably came out of a stouffer's box and ephraim just is like what is that even delia is like what is this mysterious thing I see before me that I'm supposed to devour. Oh, excuse me. No, he found Julia's old recipe book and attempted to make I'm guessing this is like pot roast, maybe meatloaf. When Andy says, well, I found mom's old recipe book and Ephraim's like, and you cooked it? And Andy's like, no, smart ass, I didn't. I was right. Okay, it was. It was meatloaf. It looked like something that you take out in pieces. Or you attempt to get one piece, but it just starts coming out in, like, bits and pieces. And here you go, just eat it. Just throw some ketchup on that stuff, and you're good to go. I also see some, a side of carrots. I saw some broccoli, I think, on Ephraim's plate. So I guess he, he likes vegetables. I don't know any teens or kids that like broccoli. Maybe nowadays, in this new trying-to-go-healthy world, maybe kids do like vegetables. I like green beans. I like corn on the cob. But I'm not a fan of soft carrots. Never have been. 
course, Ephraim is stalling as his dad's like, all right, come on, I'll eat up. And Ephraim's like, you know what? I think we should say grace first. And Andy's like, you're half Jewish. <laughs> Ephraim's like, what? There's not a half Jewish grace? And Andy tells him, like, quit stalling, just eat it. A dog wouldn't even eat that those charred remains. I'm sorry, but they wouldn't. So Andy pretty much, he sits down at the head of the table, like, look, guys, just... Try it. Just try it, and I promise you tomorrow we will actually just go to a restaurant in town. It's going to be fine. They got, both Delia and Ephraim have, like, half the plate is filled with broccoli. So either they really like broccoli, or they're just trying to fill their plate. So Ephraim makes a uh, uh, dig at Andy about, oh, well, if you're not still at the hospital, because, of course, like I said, Andy's new in town, he's probably got to stay late and, you know, work on as many patients as he can, see as many patients as he can. And, of course, Delia stopped by the vid store because she's got a, this is 2002, VHSs were still around, granted, they were slowly being phased out. When I worked at the video store, we still had half the store did have VHSs. But there was an equal amount of DVDs. And slowly over time, DVDs overtook VHSs. Granted, you could still find a VHS at your local Goodwill or maybe Salvation Army. However, the only way you're going to get a VCR if you don't have your old one is probably going to Amazon. And those things, they're not cheap. They are not cheap. Lucky we still have ours. So her pick, and Andy is unbeknownst to this because he was always working. He doesn't know this about Delia. She picked Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, not Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka with R.I.P. Gene Wilder. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp had not come out for at least another two years. Thank goodness. She is... Willy Wonka all the way for me. I cannot, could not handle Johnny Depp. Just too much for me. So, Ephraim's like, you're not watching that, Delia. You know every time you watch that, you would have nightmares about the blueberry for weeks. And Andy's like, Ephraim, I don't see a problem with this. I mean, sure, Delia, you can watch this movie. Yeah, Ephraim's like, she can't watch that. And Delia across the table's like, be quiet. And (laughs) Andy's like, okay, did I miss something here? Ephraim's like, yeah, eight years of raising her, okay? She... That movie upsets her. She can't see it. And Delia's like, no, it does not. And Ephraim's like, yeah, really? Then why were you sleeping on my floor for a month and screaming every night? Yeah. So Andy just looks at Delia like, okay, tell the truth. And she's like, well, it used to scare me, but it doesn't anymore. And of course, (laughs) Ephraim's like... Yeah, that's what she used to say all the time. It's She's like a junkie begging for more smack. <laughs> oh, God. So Delia is like, I'm not a junkie. You're a junkie. And of course, Andy's like, nobody in this house is a junkie. Okay? Eat your meatloaf. I want to play this clip. It's just funny, this this dinner routine here. As we, uh, we get to see them sit down as a family for the first time. And, of course, the phone rings, so that's probably going to be one of his patients that's having an issue. Okie dokie. <laughs> what is that? I think it's dinner. I found Mom's old recipe book. And you cooked it? No, smartass. I cooked her meatloaf. 
Now, come on, everybody. Meet up. Yeah, I think we should say Grace first. You're both half-Jewish. Well, isn't there a half-Jewish Grace? Quit stalling. Look, tomorrow, we'll try a restaurant in town, okay? If we're not still in the hospital. I have my Celtic for the night. Oh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Excellent choice, Delia. <laughs> Don't let her watch it. Be quiet. Did I miss something? Eight years of raising her. She can't watch that movie. It upsets her. It does not. Well, not if you don't count the screams at night and a month of sleeping on my floor. Yeah, you tell the truth. It used to scare me, but not anymore. <sighs> That's what she says every time. Like a junkie begging for more smack. I'm not a junkie. You're a junkie. No one's a junkie in this house. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Dr. Brown? Yes? Y yes, I can. No, we're just finishing dinner now. I'll be right over. <laughs> What's your address? Okay, then. See you in a bit. Will do. Who's that? Only what I've been waiting for since we moved here. My first house call. Oh. We're just finishing dinner. Huh? Well, I can't let my first house call family feel bad, Amber. That wouldn't be very country doctorly of me now, would it? Besides, I won't be long. Is a knapsack country doctorly? Good point, Delia. I need something that says country doctor. I know, an umbrella. That says singing English nanny. Yeah, really. Never mind. I'll see you guys later. Remember, send me a piece of that meatball. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. So the phone rings and of course it's a patient that's needing some help and this is what Dr. Brown wants. This is what Andy wants. He wants the house calls so that way he can make a good impression and build a reputation as a small town country doctor. And of course he's got like a rucksack and Delia's like, I don't think that says country doctor. And he's like, hmm, that's right. You know, I think I need a maybe an umbrella. And Ephraim's like, yeah, that would look like an English nanny. So, turns out, Ephraim had seen this before in New York when his dad would constantly be calling saying, I can't make it to dinner and this and that. And of course, Ephraim is like, here we go again. Dad disappearing on the family. Skipping out on dinner. And of course, before Andy leaves, like, hey, can you uh, save me a piece of that meatloaf? And everyone's like, yeah, well, no, no, no. It's like, yeah, you're going to have the whole thing. And it's just like, there's no ketchup. Who has meatloaf without ketchup? Seriously. Ketchup. Throw some ketchup on there. I used to do that all the time with my grandma's meatloaf. And it gave it a little more taste. Um... <laughs> So, Andy leaves, and Ephraim is like, hey, Delia, look, I'm going to order pizza, okay? And she's like, half cheese, half, pe half pepperoni. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Me, my perfect pepperoni pizza is going to be bacon, ham, and mushroom. I like pepperoni, but I've had it so much, it's like I kind of like to change things up once in a while. Last time I got pizza from Pizza Hut, I actually had a Parmesan garlic sauce instead of, like, marinara. And before parmesan garlic i also did like a buffalo sauce which i liked i didn't really i mean parmesan garlic was okay but i don't think the next time if i you know do that again i think i might just go back with the buffalo sauce or maybe marinara i'm not sure but yeah all right so it looks like he's got his first patient here as he goes up to a door so andy goes to the dudley residence uh <laughs> and apparently her road goes on for like 15 miles. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious sake. 
And of course, Andy's like, yeah, where I come from, that's like a turnpike. So you can hear the, and see a couple kids in the background that are just hacking up lungs. They are really sounding congested. So she, of course, offers to give him a cup of coffee. So the lighting in the house is like really, really not great. And I can see like probably about three or four kids. And Andy's like, well, which one's the patient? And she's like, well, you don't charge, right? He's like, yeah, that's right. And she's like, well, all of them. Like, well, if she's got a bunch of kids and one of them's sick, odds are all of them are eventually going to get it. And they're all like, (laughs) you know, you know, kids like this hacking just from the gut coughing. Oh, poor kids. And Annie just has this look of, boy, do I got my work cut out for me. (laughs) Maybe she should be examined too in case she, unless she got it first and spread it to the kids or odds are the kids got it, spread it to themselves and then the mom is going to get it. Would be, I, I don't know. But that, all of that is the cold open pretty much. As we hear the theme song kick in. So we come out of the intro and we have Delia watching Willy Wonka. We get a scene from Willy Wonka. Oh, apparently she couldn't make it through the whole movie because she fell asleep. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. No, um, it's just Charlie and Grandpa there with Willy Wonka. So she did make it through just the tail end of the movie there as he's getting ready to take them... Apparently, in the book series, they go into space. Um, I remember Jeremy, I gotten him from the library back in probably 05. He's like, yeah, I want to see you read this other uh, Willy Wonka book. And he, I don't even think he finished it. It was just really like, they go into space. Okay, well, I'm done with this. Oh, F, uh, excuse me. Um, Andy comes home. By the time he comes home, the movie's pretty much over with. This is so sweet. He carries Delia up to her bed. And as this is going on, if you're looking at the bottom of the screen, they do have the credits popping up. And we do see Brenda Strong, again guest starring, as Julia Brown. So in the first episode, we did see that he was having visions of his wife. And, you know, he's talking to his wife, even though she isn't there. So it looks like this is going to be a continuation of that. So as Andy's talking Delia in bed, she wakes up, like, hi, Dad. And she's, he's like, hey, how was the movie? And she's like, well, I mean, I tried not to watch it, but it called out to me. It's like, well, yeah, that happens. She tells him how she didn't get scared. She watched the part where the girl turns into a blueberry. And I love how Delia is like, what you and I both know is impossible, right? She's like asking, like, right? That, that can't happen, right? And he's like, well, I mean, there was this one reported case in Norway in the late 60s. Like, Andy, he's just kidding. He's just funning her. So Andy goes to check on Ephraim, who's just flipping through a manga book while listening to some music pouring out of his earbuds. And Andy hangs in the doorway. He's like, I'm back. And Ephraim doesn't even look at him. He's like, sound the trumpets. Like, yay, yay, yay. This is old hat to him, basically. Ephraim had been helping his mother raise Delia while Andy was always off, you know, performing operations, saving people's lives, 
putting work before family all the time. So apparently Julia's death really didn't do anything to quelch Andy's need to go out there and constantly be on call and be away from the family. Andy apologizes, saying it took a little longer than I expected, and Ephraim's like, yeah, I didn't notice. Can you get the door? As in, the conversation's over, you can leave now. Andy obliges and just gives up, like, okay, shut the door. So Andy comes downstairs, throws away the charred remains of meatloaf, his attempt at meatloaf, and he notices the pizza box. He takes a slice, goes to bite into it, but then we see the door slowly, the front door slowly move open. And he goes out there. And they have a nice little porch swing on that porch. That's really nice. And Andy, of course, sits in the swing. And his wife is there reading a book. That porch has, like, next to no light. Her face is shrouded in darkness. So Julia kind of tells him, like, I thought this was kind of like a vacation for you in a way. You need to just slow down. But then again... Dr. Brown can't sit still for a moment. He's always got to be doing something. Cause she, and she says, why don't you read a book? And he's like, like Madame Bovary? There's some light summer fair. Because I guess that's the book that she's holding. I mean, I can't tell because, again, there's next to no light out there. Oh, there, you can see her face now. She turns to him and see we see a little bit of light. So we can at least see that it's Julia. Of course, she is going to school her husband in all the ways of how to deal with Ephraim. And you just can't believe the Ephraim for the attitude from Ephraim. And Julia's like, honey, he's a teenager. Sarcasm is how they express their affection. Like, Delia's only eight. You have, like, what, maybe three years until she hits her preteen and then teen years? That's gonna be a nightmare. What's worse than teenage boys? Hormonal teenage girls. Just crazy nuts. Crazy nuts. I was a teenage girl. I know what it was like. I'm sure I made things hell for my my dad at that age. And I always hid behind a set of headphones. Or hid underneath some headphones and a Walkman. Okay, what in the world are we talking about? What boat? They're talking about a family vacation. So this is... Is he reliving a conversation with his wife that they had? Well, because she keeps bringing, like, a a vacation. Like, you take one vacation a year and you spend it cleaning. You know, the garage and the this and the that. And Andy's talking about a boat, taking a boat out from out on the boat and how he's going to teach him to drive it. It's like, where, what is this? What am I witness? I thought she was, I am so confused. You think she'd be giving him advice about now and what he's going through now. Instead, they're having a conversation about something that happened in the past. Are you going to have her appear? Then have it make sense. They don't, like I said, I don't know if this is a flashback to a conversation he had with his wife or prior or whether she's trying to help him out now. I don't know, but I want to move on from this. She does tell him that teaching him something isn't the only way to get to know him. 
And Andy brings up the fact, like, you know, when I was his age, I would have killed for my father to teach me to drive a boat. If we had a boat. So he keeps... He's kind of reflecting on his relationship with his father, and then his relationship he's, with Ephraim. And it's like, you two are totally different people. Your relationship with your dad is 100% different than what your relationship is with Ephraim. You can't compare the two and attempt to find something in your relationship with your dad and use it towards your relationship with your son. You just, you can't do it. And Julia says, I swear to God, one of these days, you two are going to understand each other if it's the last thing I ever do. And he says, well, if that's your goal, then you're going to be around a while. And Andy, like, comes to the realization, yes, he is alone, but he also comes to the realization that the house next door that belongs to Nina, that porch is also occupied. And Nina just witnessed him talking to himself, so great. It's not so bad that your kids are seeing this. I mean, they get, you know, he's grieving and everything, but keep it in the home. But now you've kind of opened a box where now this is just happening anywhere. And now your neighbor's seeing it. And then eventually I think it's going to be, the whole town is going to witness it later on towards the end of the episode. And it's just going to be like, that's not a good thing. You're trying to make an impression in a new town. You're... Trying to be the country family doctor, and now people are going to look at you like there's something wrong with you. Of course, and uh, Nina is pregnant. That, I believe, will be the next episode where we'll learn more about why she's pregnant and everything, and how the town feels about that. It's a small town, this Everwood, and everyone feels like they need to know your business, they have to have an opinion on your business, all that stuff. <laughs> I love how she does. Nina does a little wave, like, hey, Andy. And he stands up like, hi, Nina. <laughs> yeah. So he feels the need to explain why he was just talking to himself. He's like, you know, sometimes I remember conversations with my wife. So that is what that whole thing was, was him remembering a conversation with his wife. So this isn't her technically giving him advice in a way as he's reflecting on old conversations they had in regards to certain situations that he's in, we, whether it's with Delia or with Ephraim, in hopes that maybe he can gleam some information of how to move forward in the present and, you know, try to have some semblance of a relationship with his son. Oh, um, he does mention that, but... He, Nina was overhearing was a talk that they had uh, last year. They had a house in the Hamptons, a vacation home. He takes one week of one week of a vacation a year, and just he was constantly always had to be busy. Whether he's cleaning out the garage, cleaning up the kitchen, doing this, doing that, and he wasn't spending time with his family while on vacation. So she would take the kids there every year during the summer, and he would. He says, in five years, I was there maybe three times for three of those summers. So Andy quickly changes top, and he's like, hey, uh, and yourself, what are you doing out here? I assume you're not out here talking to a deceased spouse. She's like, no, just enjoying the warm night. I'm trying to figure what it... This is a fall-thaw thing, so I'm guessing this has got to be maybe October, November-ish? Somewhere within that realm? Okay, yes, Andy is definitely like... Yeah, this is really unseasonably warm, because 
Nina's enjoying the the warmth outside. And Andy's like, well, yeah, this is really weird being it's so unseasonably warm considering we had a snowstorm last week. Yeah, that's right. In the first episode, the pilot episode, there was snow all over the ground. Ephraim was riding his bike in snow. So this is just weird. The fall thaw. Okay, that's what Nina says. That's what this is. So explain it to us, Nina. What is the fall thaw? She says, welcome to one of Everwood's many oddities. Okay, uh, interesting, I think. There's a legend behind this fall thaw. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. I can dig it. Once a year, like clockwork, we get a fall heat wave that lasts around a week. Oh, the town whips up a festival to celebrate it. Okay, well, what's the legend then? Are we not getting the legend? Well, we, we'll probably learn it later. Because <laughs> Andy's like, look, I'm going to stop you before this gets any weirder. And Nina's like, yeah, you want to hear weird? We just got a doctor last week who doesn't charge anybody anything for, their, for his services. How crazy is that? I like Nina. I like that she's so welcoming of the Brown family. And not just because, you know, they live next door and everything, but just... And she always offers a dose of realism. She is like the Mr. Feeney of Everwood for Andy. Or the Mr. Wilson from Home Improvement. You know, fence neighbors and all that. They always gotta, they gotta have that event. There's no fence separating their houses. Just a little bit of space, but... <laughs> Alright, so they say goodnight to each other. It's the next day. We see a yellow banner stretch from one light pole to the other side of the street that says Everwood Thaw Fall. Okay, yeah. And Irv narrates, so we kind of know, he says, the next day, as the temperature climbs, so did the town's excitement. So, Harold pulls in, he sees a guy on a ladder against his medical building, and he's like, hey, you there, boy! Don't you dare chip the paint on my building if you're going to hang that banner from across the street and connect it to my building. Don't chip that paint. Oh my god. Harold Abbott, I don't know what to do with you, guy. He's, <laughs> he's like, that is Benjamin Moore latex, the Rolls Royce of exterior coatings. Yes, because you would only spend the finest, finest paint in the world on your precious medical building. Which is right across from Andy's medical building. One town, two doctors. The guy hanging the sign is just looking at Harold like, what are you even talking about? Rolls Royce, Benjamin, more latex. I don't know those things. I'm just hanging a sign, man. You're distracting me. Here we go. We get a, another interaction between Andy and Harold. Andy had to pick up a cup of coffee on the way to work. So I'm guessing as Harold puts a handkerchief to his nose, either it's got to be allergies, right? Because he's not too happy about the fall thaw from what I can see. And he's telling Andy, like, hey, you don't plan on succumbing to one of this community's, one of this community's nonsensical traditions. I have the subtitles on. So that's why I'm reading. We do get a month. Okay. As Andy says, you gotta admit, it's a balmy day for mid-September. Isn't that like Indian summer is kind of what takes place in September? 
Oh, yes. Thank you, Dr. Abbott, as he confirms. The weather pattern we experience this time of year is a typical Amer uh, Indian summer. I almost said American summer, but for heaven's sake do we need to get educated on what uh indian summer is which is brought on by a flow of the polar jet stream and which with our proximity to the mountains in turn traps and stagmates the hottest air directly above our region thank you for that educated bit of info that i will do nothing with yeah harold's got allergies the way he's clutching that handkerchief and his voice just seems kind of hoarse it's like good grief sounds really nasally. Yep, he admits it. You know, he's sensitive to the allergens in the air. This is not a fun week for me. Take a Claritin that, you know, Harold looks like the type that really doesn't believe in over-the-counter or off-the-shelf medicine. I don't know. Maybe he already did pop a Claritin and he's waiting for it to uh, take its time to uh, work its way through its body, his body and uh, have an effect on it in a positive way. I love Andy's comeback here. He's like, as opposed to all those other weeks where you just like to party down. Like, yeah, he is, uh, here, they are just like, they're like oil and vinegar or oil and water. They just, they don't mix. One is a calm, friendly face. The other one is a, let's get down to business. I don't have time for wisecracks kind of guy. Of course, Harold's like, as usual, you make it difficult to have a civil conversation with you, Doctor. It's like, well, there's always room for sarcasm and fun. Come on now. Harold, you need to let down your hair and just let life come at you. And he's like, thaw well, and Harold is just like, bite me. <laughs> it's funny when kids do it, but it's even funnier when adults do it. And Andy just smiles as he walks away like, I love this back and forth banter. <laughs> so Andy heads into his office. Edna's there and she tells him, you know, you're late. You're, they're getting, this posse's getting hotter than a hooker's. And of course, Andy's like, don't finish that sentence. Thank you. So as he goes into his office and prepares to set up, Edna follows him and she's like, did you have a late night? And he's like, yeah, I made my first house call. And the terms he uses, oh, you finally busted the old cherry and like, Oh, Edna, that is, wow. <laughs> this woman, this lady is brusque. She is brusque. But I I love, I love her. This is, oh. She's tough, but she does, you'll find later, have a heart of gold. She's a sweetheart teddy bear underneath. So he explains that it was the Dudleys on Forest Lane. Oh, she says, oh, on Forest Lane? And he's like, yeah, that was no lane. It took me half an hour to find the place. Another hour and a half to examine her kids. Oh, there were at least four that I saw. There probably might have been more, not in the kitchen. So Edna lets him know that I hope you got some rest because we got ourselves another packed house. Because, of course, being he doesn't charge, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Mary Sue, and Betty Ann are all flocking over from Harold's doctor's office to come to Andy's. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, if he doesn't charge and he's got a great bedside manner, I'd be going to see Andy over Harold. Granted, both guys kind of get, you know, Harold's kind of got that old man charm. It's kind of nice. But I, honestly, for my doctor, I would rather have Andy. Well, Edna, of course, with everyone else in the world, including myself, wants to know why he's offering free Medicare, med, 
medicine to these people. And he tells us, long answer is, I've spent enough years making money off of people's sickness. And in order to assuage his guilt, he wanted to do something incredibly altru altruistic. And the short answer is, I'm nuts. Nuts or not, guy, you are a great doctor. If I were getting terminal news, I would want to get that from Andy Brown. Alright, now we're going to head over to the Everwood High School, which... What is it called? I can't remember the name of the high school. I know it's not the Everwood High School, but... Remember when buses had the engine in the front? And then later on, I think once I got to like late, late into high school, they had the flat-faced buses? So Ephraim's getting stuff out of his locker. Amy, of course, comes up to him because she figures it's fine now. I've introduced him to Colin, who was in a, who's in a coma currently, and explained the situation. So we should be all cool now. So she's like, all right, look, you've been here a week. What do you think your class is? I want an academic update. Ah, uh, this is Ephraim. What do you think he's going to say? Well, the classes all suck, and that's about it. I just, I hate school. So that's, that's the end-all, be-all of my academic update. Yeah, he says they're annoying and dull as my classes in New York. Only further west. I'm trying to think if before Everwood, if I'd seen this, I, part of me thinks like, oh, this is a thing that Ephraim kind of uh, invented this look with the long sleeves underneath the short sleeves, or the short sleeves over long sleeves look, but clearly this look's been around longer than Ephraim has, so... But I think I just kind of familiarize it with Everwood, and then I see it later on in, like, other shows. And apparently, Amy tells Ephraim that there is a movement to issue the new kid a nickname. Oh my god, I don't even want to know what they would have named for me if I had moved to this town and went to this school. I'd hope for Bookworm, because I could live with that term. And they're calling him Ham- Wait, no, she suggests Ham. For Hamlet. Ephraim's like, I don't like where this is going. She's like, don't worry, it's an offensive tactic. You either love it or hate it. These labels are never kind. They're either fun or mean. So I think she kind of gets the ball rolling with what she suggests. And of course, this is Amy Abbott. She and her brother run this school. So that nickname for him could spread like wildfire, thanks to her, in a positive light. Put a positive spin on it. And Amy's like, most of them are mean. And he's like, yeah, I know. I have Jim with Blackhead Davis. And I like how they're just having this conversation while they're walking in, down the hallway. And he's like, you know, for the classic girl next door, you have a really warped mind. Because Amy is all about this nickname thing. Because later on she'll reveal what her nickname is. It's like, hey, what's your nickname? And of course the bell rings. She's like, they call me uh, late for class. I gotta go. And she's like, see ya, bubba. And he's like, Bubba? And I'm like, Bubba? And she's like, I'm just testing one out. I'm like, you throw that one back, girl. You throw that back in the water because that fish is not needed. We do get a song that was playing while this whole conversation. I'm not sure the title of it. Something about falling for the first time. Ephraim is checking out his hair in the bathroom, trying to get it to stay down, forcing the cowlicks to stay where they need to stay. Not looking like alfalfa. Oh my goodness. Bright apparently is not going to let this go. As Ephraim goes to leave the bathroom, both Bright and whoever this nameless hoo-ha is behind him, 
come out of the bathroom stalls. And they're like, hey, loser. And Ephraim just looks at Bright like, really? You choreograph a bathroom exit and I'm the loser? So Bright's like, look, I see you getting cozy with my little sis. I thought I told you to stay away from her. Because Colin is my best friend. And her boyfriend. And he will kick your ass. Good grief for heaven. There's a second guy behind Bright? How many backup cronies do you need? And Bright is a big dude as far as bulky. He looks like he probably is a football player. Of course, he's like, I thought I told you once that she's spoken for. And Ephraim's like, spoken for? Really? It's like, hey, Bright, the 50s called. They want their lingo back. Is this, this makes me think, you know, how people say, hey, the such and such called. They want their this back or, or whatever. <laughs> Bright's like, yeah, as soon as Colin finds out about this, he's going to kick your ass. And of course, Ephraim is like, ah, the guy's in a coma, guy. Just dial it down a bit. He's like, well, I figure I might have a slight advantage over him, seeing as I'm conscious. Excuse me. So, Bright takes offense to this. Like, hey, watch yourself, little man. Another comment like that, and Colin won't be the only one in a coma. It's like, Bright, you need to step off. Amy is a big girl. She can take care of herself. She does not need you looking out for her. She is not in danger. Just chill out. Ephraim still whipping out those zingers. Ephraim says, statistically, I'm not little. But according to every chart I've seen, you're still a moron. Dude, you are just gonna get your ass kicked. Just walk Oh Well, Bryce's not really giving him a chance to walk away. So Bright is still like, hey, look, I may be a moron, but when it comes to my sister, I am a genius, okay? She's playing you, dude. Why don't you get that? Like, yeah, this whole buddy-buddy thing she's doing with you is just so that way you can get your dad to work on Colin and get him out of that coma. And as soon as Colin's awake and all that stuff, she's going to drop you, Ephraim. Sad but true. Ephraim has no comeback to that. As Bright's like, as soon as uh, she gets your daddy to fix Colin, she's not even going to look at you. And with that, Bright and his cronies leave, and Ephraim is just like, yeah, that kind of sad truth. Alright, so now we move to Everwood Elementary. So we go to Delia's class, and we meet her teacher, who is actually someone who's been in... Quite a few things here and there, but the lady, excuse me, uh, the lady teacher actually, uh, the woman who plays Dealey's teacher, Miss Violet, is played by actress Beth Grant. And she has been in quite a number of things, and it seems like whenever she's in something, her she pretty much plays the same type of character, just really, um... Cold and unfriendly, and like she's got her nose stuck in the stuck stuck up in the air. That kind of snooty, no nonsense type. Looking at her resume real quick, she was in Rain Man. I don't remember her in that, but I do remind uh, remember her as the diner manager in The Wizard. That's a Fred Savage movie from '89 that I covered during um, the summer of Savage, which I believe would have taken place last summer. She was in the TV movie Switch to Birth. Okay, I think I, rem- I won't remember that. That's actually on YouTube. The TV movie from 91, not the television show. 
from 2011. He played Helen in 1994, the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and Dennis Hopper. She sadly was the character who was trying to get off when the driver, bus driver was being rescued. And she's like, what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us? And you know how um, the bomber said, no, only one person can get, I'll let you let the driver get off, but that's it. He sees, you know, from his camera that he's got that they're trying to get Helen off. Of course, I don't know, uh, he causes an explosion and of course she falls out the door of the bus and sadly gets run over by the bus. It's really sad. She plays in, oh, okay, so... All her episodes here are in season one. We have The Great Dr. Brown, which is the episode I'm covering today. We have episode five, Dear God, and 19, The Miracle of Everwood. She was also in the movie Child's Play 2. She played um, Andy's teacher. And she was also a, a teacher in the movie Donnie Darko from 99. Or was it two? No, that was 2001 or 2002. Because I was working at the video store at the time. Uh, she was also a pageant official in Little Miss Sunshine. Same say no-nonsense, nose-in-the-air character. She's got 11 upcoming projects right now. Holy go-googie, that is a lot of projects. So, she is teaching history to these kids. Which, Delia's, what, 8 years old? 8, 9? So, she's got to be in, like, 1st or 2nd grade. Uh, she's teaching about Ronald Reagan. I see on the board Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, and Richard Nixon. Well, apparently Ronald Reagan saved the world from the evil empire. I don't know. Okay, cool. So Delia raises her hand and the teacher is like, what is it now, Delia? Like, you, she asks, like, questions all the She's new. Cut her a break. She does, there are certain, but really all she wants is to see if she can move to the front of the class. She likes to sit close. And the teacher is just really unrelenting. Like, oh, do you have a problem with your eyes? Can you not see the board? Oh, are you have a problem with your hearing? You can't hear? It's like, no, she just likes to sit, but... Apparently this lady's got a, this teacher, she's got a system. The boys sit in the front and the girls sit in the back. Why? Why? Granted, this is nothing like the movie The War from 1994 where um, Christine Baranski played a racist teacher who had the African-American kids in the back and the white kids in the front. But it's like, why? You don't want to know why I'm guessing this is here with uh, Miss Violet. Because apparently the boys are probably troublemakers and she wants to keep an eye on them. Delia does say she can't see the board as well from where she's at way in the back. Oh yeah, the teacher like, is there something wrong with your eyes? And Delia's like, no. And she's like, well, why do you want to sit up front? It's like, to hear you better. And the teacher's like, oh, you have a hearing difficulty. Like, oh, lady, you're terrible, terrible. I mean, I get it. She's not being totally rude. The way Delia just narrows her eyes at this teacher, like, no, like, you're an idiot, ma'am. I'm sure the schools in New York had no problem just saying, yeah, you want to sit up front? Of course you can sit up front. That's no problem. Oh, Delia, in season one, I think she kind of breaks away from this in, like, season two, but Delia is all about, she's kind of tomboyish a little bit. She likes to wear the hat. She's wearing a Denver Nuggets hat. Delia, of course, is like, 
do they they ever switch? Do the boys and girls ever switch? And she's like, no. And Delia's like, well, then I'd like to sit up front, please. And it's not an unreasonable request. If she can't, you know, if she can't hear, whatever, just oblige her. But apparently this teacher's got, this is her method, this is what she does. And she's just carrying on, like, well, to do that, you'd have to be a boy. Like, shut up. I don't like this lady. I really don't. Okay, she's going too far. You're not suggesting that you really are a boy, Delia, are you? Okay, this kind of thing would not be acceptable in today's world. It would not be acceptable. This kind of way that she's talking to Delia. And of course, I mean, I get it. A lot of schools don't want you wearing a hat in class for whatever reason. Because she's like, while we're at it, why don't you remove your hat? This is a classroom, not a ball field. It's like she's making she's making fun of Delia. And she's getting the class to basically laugh at her. She's really harping this whole, remove your hat. I said remove your hat. And Delia just looks at her like, no, I'm not doing that. I, you're, I'm, I'm deafing you out right now. So we get another narration from Irv here as he says, Welcome to Gino Chang's, every Everwood's Friday night culinary hotspot. Yeah, we get a That's a More song playing like it's a, an Italian restaurant. Okay, so ba- okay, it's then Gino opened both. I guess he moved from Naples to Everwood, and since Everwood didn't have a Chinese or an Italian restaurant, he decided to just have both. That's different. I'll give it that. Okay. I like how um, Andy orders, you know, some Italian chicken parmesan and some penne and some egg rolls and, you know, some uh, sweet and sour pork and a minestrone soup. And of course, Ephraim wants to point out how this is like the weirdest restaurant they've ever been to. And that's coming from the fact that we used to live in New York and went to a restaurant that was we, where we were served by drag queens. Uh-huh. Drag queens named Frank. <laughs> Ephraim is, oh my goodness, this boy, he hates everyone. He hates everything about it. The only bright side to him is Amy. Because Andy brings up, hey, who's up for the Thaw Fall Fest tomorrow? And everyone's like, yeah, I'd love to as long as you promise to take up surgery and lobotomize me first. (laughs) And he's like, it'll be fun, Ephraim. There's going to be hayrides and a Ferris wheel. And yeah, look at your son. Does he look like he's into any of that stuff? So Delia wants to know what it means when someone takes extreme disciplinary measures. Clearly, that's what Miss Violet told her. And Annie's like, well, where do you hear that term from? Delia says, in school. So Ephraim kind of says, well, it pretty much means that someone's in trouble. And they don't really go further on that because we cut to the entryway of the restaurant. And who else shows up to this restaurant but Dr. Harold Abbott and Amy. Apparently, their regular table that they normally sit at is not available. This guy, Gino, looks very familiar. Gino is played by actor... I'm not sure if I have... Keon? K-E-O-N-E Young. And this guy has been in a lot, like... It goes all the way back to the 70s. A lot of sitcoms. We got some voice work from DuckTales, Adventures of the Gummy Bears, Small Wonder, Different Strokes. 
Family Matters, a couple episodes of Golden Girls, My Girl 2. This is the second time he's played a character named Mr. Tanaka. He was in the movie North, uh, the Brady Bunch movie. Striptease, Jack, he was in Murphy Brown. An episode of Boy Meets World, Simpsons, Baywatch. That's when Harold and Amy come in. Harold is not happy. The fact, not just that his table, his regular table that he comes into every Friday night is gone. It's not available. It's also not available because Dr. Brown, the doctor who's moved in and taken a good percentage of Dr. Harold Abbott's clients, it's just this guy comes in and he's taking everything. He's taking every, including his mom who is a receptionist for Dr. Brown. So Harold is really, he's all about, he wants things his way and he likes routine. He doesn't like that Andy and his family are sitting at his table. You know, he even says, I'll get you a Bellissimo table. And <laughs> Harold's like, I don't want a Bellissimo table. I want my regular table. Dude, seriously? Come on now. Let's not act like Jack Nicholson from As Good As It Gets, who is very clearly like, I gotta have that table. I sit at that table every time. And the fact that someone else is sitting at his table, he has a spit spit. Which is kind of what Harold is doing. He's going to make a scene. Like, you were a small town doctor. Seriously? But everyone's probably used to him having his own way. Getting, you know, his demands and everything. My goodness! This guy has got a way with words. As a dedicated patron of this establishment. Who talks like this? I find it appalling you would just... Jetson... Jettison my table without- what the heck is this word he's using? Without any disregard whatsoever. Jettison, okay. And mind you, Amy is standing there watching her father berate this nice man. It's like, Harold, what did you want him to do? Call you and say, oh, Dr. Abbott, I'm sorry, your table's not available. What do you want him to do? Say, I'm sorry, Dr. Brown, but that is Dr. Abbott's table. I can't let you sit there. He would get me. He would uh, shut down my business or something like that. And Harold turns around like he's ready to walk right out the door. I love, I want to play this. <laughs> uh, it's so funny, Gino's response to this. <laughs> Dedicated patron of this establishment, I find it appalling. You would just jettison my table without any regard whatsoever. <laughs> you, you, you smutty pants, Doc. I don't get any of your fancy words, huh? But tonight, the dessert, she's a owner of the house. And the guy knows. He, he basically says the desserts are for you. She she's on the house, and leads him. You know, has a server lead him to another table. But you just see, poor Gino is like, it's ex expelling this like. like uh. <laughs> so, of course, Andy's got to bring up to Ephraim, hey, how's it going with the Abbott girl? Like, speak of the devil, look who's just walked in. Ephraim just looks at his dad like, why are you bringing this up? Why is this your business? And Andy's like, well, I mean, I'm just bringing it up. I mean, she's walking right over here, so it must be going well. Ephraim turns and Amy is right there saying, hey, Bubba. It's like, no, Bubba, no, Bubba. Call him, she will eventually call him Ham, which I like better than Bubba. 
So this is all something that plays out in Ephraim's head as Amy is saying how her boyfriend is a state in uh, stage four cancer and how she wants Dr. Brown to work his magic fingers on him so that way Colin can awaken and she could sleep with her boyfriend. Of course, this is all scenario that's played in Ephraim's head when we cut back to the present. He's like, oh, dad, you remember Amy. Like, no, what you knew right off the bat what, as she was saying these, like, practiced words, like, this is something that is clearly in somebody's head because she would not talk like that to uh, a doctor. I like how Amy looks at Delia, like, hi, what's your name? And Delia's like, it's Delia. Oh, you're pretty, by the way. I'm surprised you didn't say something like, my brother thinks you're cute or some annoying little sibling thing would say to you know, tease their older sibling. So, of course, Andy's phone rings and it's a patient needing something because he gets up and he walks away from the table. Ephraim, of course, takes his chance to talk to Amy. Like, oh, I see uh, you're here too, huh? And Amy explains, like, it's a father-daughter night. So we go, we eat, we go home, we watch something. And, of course, we cut over to Harold that's like, I'm sitting here, honey. Why aren't you sitting here across from me at the table? What are you, who is that? What, what's going on here? I'm sorry, but Harold is, like, high maintenance. I... Don't even know what it's like to be Rose in this scenario. Because we haven't even met uh, Harold and Harold's wife and Amy's mother. Bright's mother as well. Oh my goodness. 2002. Back when we still probably taped stuff off TV. Because we didn't have DVR or TiVo or any of those things. And apparently he likes to tape stuff off of Turner Classics. So, Amy says, I better get over there to my dad before he combusts and has a, a fit like he's already having. <laughs> or a uh, upcoming meltdown. Anyway, Ephraim goes to sit down as Deal is like, oh, is that your girlfriend? And Ephraim's like, no, she's not. And Deal is like, yeah, but you want her to be. And everyone's like, look, you are this close to knowing actual physical pain like you've never felt in your life. Andy sits down, explains to his kids, look, that was my patient. I got to get over there right away. So is this the Dudley residence that had the four plus kids that all had a hacking cough? Or is this a different patient? First, it's an emergency, and Ephraim points out, look, we just ordered food. We haven't even gotten our food yet. Andy, of course, it's his his client. He's got to, you know, keep his clients happy and all that. So he's like, look, I should be back by the time you finish. And how are they going to get home? Because I'm sure they want to sit there and eat by themselves. They can do that at home. So he leaves his phone and money for Ephraim. The phone is for him to call a cab. Here's another empty promise. He's like, don't worry, I won't cook dinner for a week and I will make it up to you somehow. This is no surprise to them. He does this all the time. He did this all the time in New York. But the thing is, they had their mother, so it wasn't a big, big deal. And they're new in town. They don't know the customs of the small town and especially when it comes to cab drivers. There's only one of them in that town and apparently it took from 20 minutes just to track the number down. And apparently the guy doesn't work on Fridays. What? 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 My guess is the fact that 
not a lot of people in that town need a cab because they all either get there on foot or they drive cars. <sighs> Poor planning on Andy's part. Really, you leave your kid stranded at a restaurant so you can help a client. I get it. He's got to save face, keep up a good rep, but your kids are now stranded at a restaurant. Of course, while Ephraim's on the phone, unbeknownst to him... Harold and Amy come out of the restaurant, and Harold is like, oh, look at this. Now, what kind of father would leave his children in a restaurant alone? <laughs> like, <sighs> he just shakes her head and is like, oh, hey, you stranded? What's up? Good Samaritan Amy. Thank you. Dad just wants to stand there and point out the obvious, like, oh, my gosh, this Dr. Brown, he's such a terrible father and a doctor. Ugh! And he took our table. Ugh! Give me a break, Harold, please. Don't need your commentary on the situation. We know what's going on. Apparently, Mr. Randolph, the cab driver, doesn't work Fridays because, well, he doesn't work Friday nights because he calls bingo numbers at the church. Really? Really? Whatever. I like Amy's hair here. It's kind of got a permed, crimped look to it. It's kind of pretty. I wouldn't dare do that with my hair. My hair's not long enough. And even if I didn't have hair long enough, I don't think it'd be a good look for me. I did once try to do something with a curling iron once, like, 12 years ago. It was okay. This is where Ephraim says the line, this really is the town that time forgot. Amy offers to give them a ride home. Turns and says, we can give them a ride home. Can't we, Daddy? <laughs> oh, come on, Harold. How can you say no to that? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> of course, he makes a point to say Ephraim sits up front with me. Thank you very much. They're back. He's Andy's back to the Dudley house. Looks like uh, the coughing is not changed. It hasn't gotten better. Maybe it's gotten a little worse. They're all coughing. This house is full of coughing children. These poor, poor kids. But turns out it was uh, bronchitis has turned into bacterial menacocci? Nemacocci? It's a weird name. Like someone calling somebody cockapoo-poo or something like that. It's a funny way to say infectious pneumonia, which is not silly at all. Apparently, because it's a small house, odds are the rest of her kids are also infected. So vaccinations in the car for the kids. Unfortunately, no antibiotics. So just give them the vaccinations. You can get the antibiotics out to them later. He's really bending over backwards, going out of his way to help her out. And apparently, she never got her daughter Susie's medication. So great. So that's why it spread to your other children. And Andy's just baffled. Like, why? I'm sorry. I don't understand. I gave you a chance to help your child get better and you didn't take it? Like, what's up with this? I mean, I thought he was... I don't know. Oh, her truck's been out of commission for a few months. Oh, that sucks. Is she just there by herself? Is her husband... Is she a widow? What's going... Oh, man. This is terrible for her. Explains about how her sister was going to come in on Tuesday and, you know, take her to go get the meds. And Andy is... He's getting a little irritated. He's like, well, your daughter doesn't need them. Like, next Tuesday. She needs them right now. And the reason she didn't worry about it, because he said the case was mild, so she thought it's not a big deal. 
And he's like, well, it can't wait the night, not unless you want to spend tomorrow at the hospital. Like, he can help them as much as he's able to, but they kind of gotta help themselves as well. Like, I can give you as much help as I can, but you gotta put in that effort. He's giving you an olive branch, take it. Don't toss it in the trash. Like, it's like, whatever. He tells them, all right, get the kids dressed, get ready to go. We're gonna go find an all-night pharmacy somewhere. And she, I get it, she's proud, she doesn't really want to take charity, and she's like, I can't let you do that. He's like, look, I have a car, you don't, I should have properly diagnosed these kids, I'm sorry, but we need to get them well. So Harold and Amy drop off Ephraim and Delia at their house, uh, Andy's not there yet, and Amy brings up the Thaw Festival, like, hey, where are you going to go to that? Of course, Ephraim thinks, oh, this is an invitation. She's going to ask me to go with her. He's like, yeah, I was thinking about going. I mean, I hear they have hay rides, Ferris wheels. And Delia the whole time is like, Ephraim, Ephraim. And he's like, no, not, no, Delia. Odds are, they're locked out. Oy, oy, oy. Apparently, the Thal Festival has a horseshoe throwing competition. I can't remember if I've ever done that before. I'm not sure. I might have at one point in my life, but it was probably so long ago. That takes skill, that horseshoe throwing thing. I really think it does. You gotta have a good hand on ya. Good hand-eye coordination, definitely. Apparently by the time Delia tells Ephraim they're locked out, Harold and Amy are long, you can see their headlights. And now we go to the Abbott household. This is where we're gonna meet Rose. And Harold is like, over my dead and decaying corpse, you're going to thaw fest with that boy. I don't think it's so much the way that Ephraim dresses. I think it's the fact that he belongs to Andy and Harold is just threatened by everything Andy Brown, Andy Brown Dr. Brown. So Amy's saying, you're not really being fair. I mean, I'm just, I'm not going out with him. I'm just meeting him there. It's not a big deal. And Harold's like, well... He's a future felon or a parolee or blah, 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 blah. He just, just because of the way Ephraim dresses, does not make him an ex-con, doesn't make him a, a parolee, a juvenile delinquent, whatever you want to say. Ay, ay, ay. But we do meet Rose, who is in the living room, who's got to, you know, add her two cents in. She's definitely siding with her daughter. She is really being a teenager, throwing a little temper tantrum here. So Amy's saying dead's being excruciating and of course Harold has to bring up the definition of excruciating meaning literally means to feel the pain of crucifixion. Does it really? I'm gonna look that up. Here's the definition for excruciating. Intensely painful. Excruciating back pain. Um, extremely painful, more than one can bear, more than flesh and blood can bear, mentally agonizing, very embarrassing, awkward, or tedious, excruciating boredom. Excruciate, torment someone physically or mentally. Um, okay, um, like origin, late 16th century from Latin, excruciate, tormented from the verb excruciate based on the crux crux across okay so i'll give him that one i guess it doesn't exactly say crucifixion but it's about as close as it's gonna get in that definition i would just like to throw out these words just to show how you know how high his intelligence is 
He says, well, my law may be difficult at times. I'd say Jesus had it a lot tougher. Yeah, she's just asking him like a teenager. I'm surprised she hasn't like stomped her foot or maybe we're gonna get that. Like, ugh! Amy just goes up the stairs like, well, he didn't live here. And Harold's all like, where are you going? We haven't gotten to the movie half yet. It's your favorite. Like, well, I'd have to say you put a damper on that just by, uh, a father and forbidding her to see somebody without real reason other than oh here's the son of the doctor across the street from you stolen all my clients kind of attitude repeat viewing of the red shoes what is the red shoes Hey, the red shoes 1948 two hours and 15 minutes a young ballet dancer is torn between the man she loves and her pursuit to become a prima ballerina well, we do see in another episode that Amy does ballet, so. Looking at the cast list of this Red Shoes movie, and I don't know any, nobody's names popping out is familiar to me. Writers Hans Christian Anderson, really? Fairy tale? Okay. Did he write a book called The Red Shoes? Um, two hours, 15 minutes. That's a bit. That is a bit. And it's got an 8.2 out of 10 rating based on 27,077 ratings. Apparently this movie is a good one. I think Red Shoe... I've never seen the movie The Man with the One Red Shoe by Tom Hanks and Laurie Singer. Oh, it's the girl who played, um, what's her face on, um, 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 uh, 1980-somethings Footloose with Kevin Bacon. Uh, a man picked randomly out of a crowd is made the target of CIA surveillance and pursuit. Really? Uh, interesting. Alright, I'm moving on. So, Harold comes into the living room and says, Don't look at me like that. Seriously. Like, he knows she's already taken Colin's side. And of course... How she puts it is like, our daughter hasn't had a moment of fun since Colin's accident. And she thinks, you know, this might be a nice little distraction. Her, you know, hanging out with this boy. Yes, Harold, just put your hatred of Andy aside for a hot second. And let your daughter just... Nothing bad is going to come of her having a friendship with this boy just took one look at him and you just like yep that guy kid looks like a, a parolee to juvenile delinquent to me first we get an Eminem reference here she's like if she wanted to go to that festival with Eminem I'd let her do it apparently Harold is really his clients are all jumping ship and going across the street to Andy's place because uh yeah he had another five cancellations Maybe it's your bedside manner. Maybe it's the fact that he offers free health care. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want Harold as my doctor. I want someone who's got a nice bedside manner. And someone who's not going to lie to me and will tell me. And Amy will tell you the truth. If you have a serious diagnosis, something going on, he ain't going to lie to you. Apparently this is something he's rehashing and rehashing with his wife because she's like, look, honey, we've had this conversation umpteen times. I am so over this. Why can't you just move on? I can only support you so much. But if you're going to keep rambling about this guy every time you come into the house, I, um, I, I can only fake support for so long. So, 
Okay, Rose is definitely hitting the nail on the head. It's not about Dr. Annie Brown. It's not about his son. It's not about losing clients or the free medicine that Dr. Brown offers. And Harold's like, this is not about my mother. And I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? We know they don't have the best relationship. He's like, no, no, I don't care what the battle axe does, however she wants to embarrass me, whatever. Rose just takes whatever she's got, magazines and books or something. She's like, okay, honey, I'm going to bed. And she kisses him and goes up the stairs. And of course, Harold's allergies, like, ooh, my nose. He puts his hanky up to his nose. To, Do you pop another Claritin? What? What? Did we need to see him blow his nose? So, right away in the next scene, we can tell this is a dream that she is having because of the way that the teacher is out. Delia Brown, what did I tell you about hats in class? And Delia's like, no hats in class. Right away, you can see Miss Violet's face is turning a shade of purple to match her purple uh, blazer suit jacket. Whatever you want to call it. She repeats, no hats in class, no hats in class. And of course, Delia's like, Miss Violet, you're turning violet. Like, oh God. And you see, like, her Miss Violet's suit jacket that she's wearing is just starting to balloon outward. And her face is turning that much more purple. You know they had to go there because of the whole Willy Wonka and the Blueberry and Violet Beauregard and the fact that this teacher's name is Miss Violet. You hear her screaming, she's gonna explode, she's gonna explode. She's screaming, wakes up screaming, she's gonna explode, Miss Violet's gonna explode. And everyone runs in there like, look, nobody's gonna explode, it's okay. And Andy clearly is not back yet. Has he even called in to let his kids know what's going on? So... Not, you know, Andy's gone, Ephraim's stuck in the parent role again, having to take care of Delia when she has a nightmare and Delia's like where's dad I want dad and everyone's like he's not here it's gonna be okay just lie back close your eyes go to sleep he's such a good big brother for her I mean I get it the siblings squabble occasionally but he loves his sister Ephraim goes to leave her room but she asks Ephraim do you think you could stay here with me for a little bit and you see Ephraim roll his eyes. It's like, he's just the big brother. He's not the parent. And it's just like, dad should be here taking care of you. But he's like, alright, move on over. Ephraim, of course, is sitting in the dark in the living room waiting for Andy to walk in. And of course, he is such... It's like, he forgets that he's the teenager and his father is the parent. Because he... His accusatory tone of, where have you been? Where do you think he's been? He's a doctor. He had to make a house call. That's part of his job. And who are you to question that? And Andy's like, I was stuck at the Dudleys. What's going on? Is everything okay? And of course, Ephraim is just so short with his father. Like, no, your daughter had a nightmare. And... Andy's like, well, is everything okay? And everyone's like, no. Nothing's okay. And he says, well, I got her back to sleep about 30 minutes ago. I get it. This is a lot of pressure 
now that Julie is not in the picture, Ephraim is, you know, if his dad is out dealing with a client or a patient or whatever, then Ephraim has to step up and not just be the big brother, but also a parental figure to Delia. Of course, Andy just chalks this up to it being the movie that she watched, the Willy Wonka movie. Like, I shouldn't have let her watch it. Ephraim was like, well, you know, someone who was cited as by Newsweek and every uh, in other magazines and stuff as one of the greatest minds in America. I'm amazed how clueless you are. It's like Ephraim, you need to step back. You are still the child here, and you don't speak to your parent that way. And Ephraim's just like, you really think this is about a movie? And Andy's like, he's frustrated. I get it. It's like, I don't need a lecture from my 15-year-old son. And of course, Ephraim whirls around him and says, don't talk to me like you talk to mom. I'm not your wife. Ephraim's just got some balls here to talk to his parent like that. Any other parent probably would have whacked him across the face. It's like, I didn't agree to marry you. And I'm tired of having to pick up your slack. And Andy's like, look, Ephraim, I'm sorry. I couldn't take care of Delia tonight, but I had a patient. And that probably makes him know another mind to Ephraim since he's not charging the patient, so he's not getting an income. Granted, Andy's got enough money from all the, you know, his time as a doctor in New York. So they're not hurting for anything. So Andy's like, look, Ephraim, I was treating a seven-year-old boy who couldn't breathe. And Ephraim's all like, yeah, dad. Seven-year-old boys trump little girls with nightmares. And Andy's not like, he's like, yes, in my profession they do. And Ephraim's all like, the medical one or the crappy father one? Oh boy, you are lucky you don't get smacked across the face. Like, enough of the attitude. Just because you're not, you don't have a mother doesn't mean you get to speak to your parent that way. This is pretty much the back and forth throughout the entire show of the relationship between Andy and Ephraim. I'm going to play this clip because Andy is so in the right, it's not even funny. Where have you been? I was stuck at the Dudleys. Why, what's the matter? Everything okay? No, everything's not okay. Your daughter had a nightmare tonight. How is she? She's fine now. Got her back to sleep about 30 minutes ago. It was that movie, wasn't it? I should have made sure she didn't see it. You know, for someone who was once cited by the U.S. News and World Report as one of the greatest minds in America, it amazes me sometimes how clueless you are. You really think this was about a movie? Why don't you enlighten me, Ephraim, as to what it is about? Because that's just what I need tonight is another lecture from my 15-year-old son. Do not talk to me the way you used to talk to Mom. I'm not your wife. What the hell is that supposed to mean? You think I want to be having this conversation with you? I didn't marry you. I never agreed to pick up your slack. Look, Ephraim, I am sorry I couldn't take care of Delia tonight. But I was treating a seven-year-old boy who could hardly breathe. Oh, you win. Seven-year-old boys who can't breathe trump little girls with nightmares. Yes, in my profession, they do. In the medical profession or in the crappy father one. All right, that is enough. As of this second, you and that mouth of yours are going to start showing me some respect. Or oh, I... what? What happened to your hand? It's tonight's punchline. I sliced it while trying to pry open a window to this place, which happened after Delia and I couldn't get a ride home, which happened after you left us alone at dinner for the second night this week. Right, well, let me take a look at it. It's fine. No, let me just Don't it. touch me. The great Dr. Brown. That's what Mom and I used to call you. You always thought it was endearing, but it wasn't. It was our own private joke. 
Will the great Dr. Brown be here for dinner? Will the great Dr. Brown be joining us this weekend? Don't you see? You're still that guy. You'll always be that guy. It doesn't matter if it's the Dudleys on the forest lane or some rich lady on Park Avenue. They'll always come first. <laughs> Only difference is this time, Mom's not here to cover for you. At least I got her. Who's dealing again? So apparently the way that they got in the house was Ephraim ended up having to open a window which he sliced his hand on because during the fight you see Ephraim raise his hand almost like he looks like he wants to punch his daddy. He's so literally worked up you can visibly see him shaking with rage and anger. And I gotta say Treat Williams who plays you know, Andy and Gregory Smith, who plays Ephraim, they, when they have to have these knockout, dragout fights and arguments, they bring it all to the table. Everything. Especially Gregory Smith. So I guess that's where the title of the episode comes from, The Great Dr. Brown, which apparently... Ephraim says he and his mom used to say, like, oh, will the great Dr. Brown be joining us for dinner? Or will the great Dr. Brown be here this weekend? Whereas Andy probably thought it was endearing. Ephraim says, well, that's a little joke, private joke between me and mom. As in, it doesn't matter if it's the Dudleys on Forest Lane or a rich lady on Park Avenue. They will always come first. He's a doctor. It sucks. I, I'm sh I, I don't, I don't know anyone that's a other than my own doctors, I don't know their private lives. I don't know what their kids have to do with, you know, and stuff like that. As far as, and it's gotta, I guess that's kind of what you sign up for when you marry a doctor who their profession is going to come before anything else, regardless of, you know, kids, activities, even with any job. If you got kids you're probably going to be missing out on things because of work, activities, holidays, birthday, whatever. You're going to end up missing things, and it sucks. And for doctors that are probably on call all the time, they don't get a break. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day or anything. Like, the doctor, they got to be there. Why the fact that Ephraim thought that just because his mom isn't there and they moved to a different place that his dad was going to be any different or treat his profession or his patients any less just because it's now a one-parent household. And Ephraim, is just, he, I get it, he's frustrated. He doesn't want to have to pick up the slack for the fact that his mom isn't there anymore and his dad is out dealing with patients. So it's all of that and everything just... These two, I don't think they're ever going to have a workable relationship. They're never going to, never going to have a great father-son relationship. At least from what I recall through watching the majority of the series. They're always going to be in an impasse. There's always going to be something that's going to come up that's going to cause friction between them. Whether it's their history or street secrets that are being withheld. Yeah. So Ephraim pretty much just walks out like the fight's over with. Ephraim said his piece. He's done. And Andy is just left there to stand there and, and ponder all of that. And the fact that he does tell Ephraim, like, that mouth of yours is going to start showing me some respect. 
The attitude that he's like, enough is enough. Enough. Any other kid would have had their ass handed to them for speaking to their parent that way. Alright, looks like we're getting to the Fall Thaw Festival. Oh, we got a Ferris wheel. Oh, and I like the little tents that are set up. This is so fun looking. Oh, and hay rides. Well, the Brown family is there. Of course, Ephraim wants to make sure Delia understands. And she repeats, for the next three hours, I don't know you. And he's like, good. Oh, it's Edna and Irv. Looks like, um, while Delia and Andy are talking to Edna and Irv, Thurman comes up and he mentions about how he's got a cyst above his backside. That's an image I don't want to see. Um, <laughs> and being that Andy gives free healthcare, apparently he gives free consultations while on his day off at the fair. Oh boy. And of course at first Andy is like, look Thurman, I'm here with my family, okay? And Edna's like, hey Doc, we'll watch the kid for a bit. You you just take care of uh, Thurman there. So Thurman was going to apparently drop Trout in front of all these people and a child. It's like, no, 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 not here. Oh my god, guy. Now we see in, uh, Ephraim kind of wandering around looking for Amy. He's got a nice plaid button-up shirt over a long-sleeved black shirt. Ephraim does see Amy kind of looking around, like, wondering, like, oh, where's Ephraim? Ephraim shows up, and immediately her face is just brightened with a smile. And she introduces Ephraim to the Melting Man, which is an ice sculpture with a cowboy hat on it. So Ephraim is told that the Melting Man, it's basically, he thinks, so everyone just stands around while this guy melts. And Amy's like, no, actually, it's a contest. You bet when the hat will hit the ground. Okay, interesting. Apparently, Mr. Lawrence has won three years in a row. Ephraim's like, I think we have a few hours yet. And Amy breaks the news to Ephraim's like, look, my dad said I could hang out with you, but under one condition. And Ephraim's like, yeah, what's that? Bright has to tag along as a chaperone. Ugh. Bright comes up and here's what he says to Ephraim. How goes it, bone lick? Oh, God. As he takes a bite out of cotton candy. Oh, Bright. I like Ephraim's comeback here. He's like, no offense, Amy, but your brother is, like, really my least favorite thing about you. And Bright's like, no offense, dude, but you're really my least favorite thing about you. And Bright, er, <laughs> Bright says that to Ephraim. And Ephraim's like, dude, seriously, you gotta work on your insults. Because <laughs> that was not good. Oh my gosh, Bright, you're such a cartoon character. As he's put, he puts an arm around Ephraim's neck and Amy's like, all right, so what are we going to do first? We got face painting over there. Or the silent auction as he drags them along. <laughs> Oh, we see, like, the arm break off of the melting man. Well, it's starting. <laughs> Even Harold's ice cream order is complicated. Vanilla and chocolate frozen yogurt in a cup. The spoon and a half. A spoon and a half, everybody, of sprinkles. Disputed, distributed evenly over the top. Oh, my goodness. This is madness. <laughs> what is... <laughs> He's dressed like a safari man. We only see the back of him as Edna's kind of 
like right behind him. I'm guessing maybe they're just going to have to bury the hatchet at some point. Like, son, I work for your competitor across the street. Get over it, all right? <laughs> His Edna is just standing right behind Harold. It's like, she's like, my son, everybody. Like, oh my god. Of course, he's telling the guy, the attendant who's making this chocolate vanilla yogurt monstrosity to make sure to rinse that sprinkle spoon but Edna's like buddy how about you finish ordering before the thaw's gone <laughs> Harold looks like Jack Hanna with that hat with that button up he just he looks like the guy from Jurassic Park the uh the one with the who goes shoot her shoot her that guy <laughs> so they're civil with each other she calls him junior and the fact that he uses the word plethora she's like, i can't believe he used the word plethora it's like edna seriously this is your son he's got he's a dictionary full of vocabulary just spews out of his mouth at any moment and she's just got a simple order like just uh two scoops of chocolate please so, while the attendant is making that order for Edna, she just turns around like, look, you got your panties in a bunch, we're gonna steal your patience, don't worry, it's gonna be fine. She assures him there's plenty of hoity-toities that don't want to wait around in the same room as those from the other side of the mountain. Apparently, he kind of chucks this whole her working for Dr. Brown under other... He categorizes them under other things that she's done that have been a little on the odd side. Leaping her motorbike over four cars down Main Street. If she's the adventurous type, who cares? That sounds wild that she's doing that in her, in her age. Dang, she's, she's got a young heart. She's adventurous. There's nothing wrong with that. Apparently that was a fundraiser for Myrna Sanders' goiter operation, okay? A drunken bar brawl last month with Edgar Cage. Like, he's bringing up all these things about her, like, things he's heard through. That town is small enough that everyone knows your business. They know when you take a dump. They know if you wiped or not. They are that up in your business. So... I'm guessing that Harold is just worried the fact like, oh, all these stunts you pulled, you've given no thought to the fact that you may be driving into an early grave. Is that really what he's worrying about? Seriously? Yeah, this, I mean, this is nowhere we're really near, I don't think, um, Ephraim and Andy level of arguing. They're just mother-son banter. And I get, she kind of hits the nail on the head with... Harold just wants the townsfolk to kind of view him in the way, like the same way that they viewed his dad. Well, just respect and admirability, I guess. Wise, generous, and big-hearted. I mean, I'd say he's wise. Generous, not so much. Big-hearted, uh, I have yet to see something. I mean, he did offer Ephraim and Delia a ride home, but that was only because his daughter really practically begged him. So luckily Ephraim and Amy escape bright because he's afraid of heights. And Ephraim and Amy are on the Ferris wheel. Which is funny because in a way, I mean this was out in 2002, right? 2003, the OC would have did something similar-ish. 
Although Ryan Atwood has a fear of heights, and he and Marissa share their first kiss on the Ferris wheel. Ephraim and Amy, Amy, of course, they don't share their first kiss on the Ferris wheel, but they do share some insights as she delves into her Grover story, which will come into play later on in season one that will be brought up again. So Ephraim's like, so what do people do up here other than wait for an early demise or <laughs> ask really dumb questions? So she brought him up there to tell him something very important, and I'm going to play this clip. Very important. Grover. Grover. It's my nickname. I always loved Grover as a kid. I know for most kids it's all Winnie the Pooh or Hello Kitty. Occasionally, Strawberry Shortcake, but... For me, life was about a little blue Muppet named Grover. Well, Grover was a very underrated Muppet. That's true. <laughs> Colin and Bright used to torment me for hours by stealing my Grover doll and hiding him. And then one day, Colin refused to give me the doll back unless I kissed him first. Colin, that is not Grover. <laughs> I kissed many, many times. So I closed my eyes. Colin closed his. We both leaned forward. And I kicked him right in the nuts. <laughs> Colin, that is not Grover, who didn't have nuts. <laughs> At least none that I was aware of. Anyway, Colin screamed and doubled over. My parents rushed, raced into the room, and when they asked what happened, Colin wouldn't tell them. All he would say was that Grover did it. And somehow, suddenly, I had developed my first crush. I'm Colin, that is. Not Grover. Okay, I know we haven't talked about this since that trip to Denver. So you want me to ask my dad to help Colin? You could just talk to him. I mean, I know there's probably nothing he can do, yeah. but Sure, Amy. I'll ask him. No problem. Thank you. Now that it's, like, light out, we can kind of tell that Ephraim in the second episode still has the little bit of purple to his hair, which I did mention it blends in pretty well with his dark, he's got brown hair, so it kind of, it doesn't really stand out. Like, if he did, like, blue, like, electric blue or red, I could see it really standing out, but it just kind of meshes too much with his hair to be too noticeable. But um, she does regale the story of her Grover doll and how she earned the nickname Grover. When she was in Bright and Colin were young, the boys would take her Grover doll and hide it. One time, Colin had taken the Grover doll and just <laughs> would not give it back until she kissed him. So she closed her eyes, he closed her his eyes, they leaned in, and of course, what did a young Amy do? She kicked him in the nuts. <laughs> and of course, Colin goes down and just screaming and crying in pain. Her parents rush in. She, they're like, what happened? And Colin wouldn't tell them. He just kept saying, Grover did it. And that's how she earned her first nickname. And she developed a crush on Colin. And she mentioned, she, I know I, we haven't talked about him since, you know, that trip to Denver. 
but I just really thought maybe if you understood, you'd be able to ask your dad to work on Colin. And the thing is, Ephraim's got to know that this thing he sees with Amy, this is a friendship. It's it's definitely unrequited. It's more one-sided on his part. He just sees Amy as the saving grace for him, even though she is currently attached, belongs to another. And he's like, you want me to ask my dad to save your boyfriend? Like, Okay, I'll, I'll ask him. I mean, he's not happy about it. He just sees her and just how she lights up when she talks about Colin and just reliving this memory. And he just really is like, I got no chance with this girl. I mean, I'm up here, hundred, you know, 50 feet off the ground, and she's telling me about her boyfriend. So Brenda, we see her. She's a lady that was the realtor that sold them their house. Also got... Andy, the office that was the training station. She also coaches the girls, the Everwood Swans, the ballet troupe that's going to be having a recital coming up and all the money they earn from this wish thing is going to be going towards the recital, probably uniforms and stuff like that. Yes, and it costs 50 cents to, I guess, make a wish. And we see like three shot glasses in this aquarium tank filled with water. And I guess you're supposed to, like, put a quarter in or two quarters in or whatever. And it's supposed to land in the shot glass. And he... Wait, is that a fish there? But he does see, through the glass of the aquarium, his wife standing there. This is not a good time to have a flashback memory conversation. Past conversation with your wife. Not in with all these people around. This is not going to look good. Those are fake fish. Those aren't real. Mind you, Andy stands up and stares over the fish tank at his wife, smiling, and he walks over. And, of course, Brenda is seeing this whole thing like, what's going on here? So, he's kissing her. So, basically, of course, she's not standing there, so he's kissing air. This is going to look really odd to people. I mean, delusions at home are one thing, but in public in a small town where you're trying to gain clients and all that stuff. But you know what's funny? I didn't get my coin in the glass, but I still got my wish. And she's like, yeah, you're funny that way. What's kind of interesting is the fact that it just seems like in the first episode in this one, they're, the lighting just seemed to be darker, but now that they're outside, I mean, they've been outside in a few scenes, but it's just like, it seems like it really lightened. You're kind of seeing these people clearly for the first time, it feels like. So, okay, I get this now. She says, aren't you going to tell me why I'm here? And he says, I wanted to see you. To know that you're more than just a memory. And to tell you that I kept my promise. And he says, you didn't keep yours. You promised you'd be here. And everyone, okay, so she, yeah, she was the one who had mentioned, yeah, in the pilot, she had mentioned Everwood. Like, but you're not. Oh, she's not physically gonna be there. Andy. In spirit, in a way, she might be there in a, in a way that maybe you'll see the beauty of the town in a way that she saw it maybe, but... You imagining her being here isn't helping you or your kids or her. <coughs> I'm not saying he's got to let her go, but 
she says, I've got some bad news for you, Andy. Fine, you're, you're going to be fine. And he's like, fine is not great. He tells him, you've had enough of great. It isn't all it's cracked up to be. Fine is real. He says, come on, say it. Say what? Fine is real? He says, say what? And she says, goodbye. He's like, that's why you wanted to see me, isn't it? You wanted to say goodbye. And he's like, no, no, not to you. Just to to this. What, what are you talking about, Andy? And she says, I was never the reason. You came here to know him. And Andy's like, who? And that's all of a sudden. It's like he blinks right out of that. And he turns and he sees, like, everybody. And I mean everybody in that town is staring at him. Edna, Irv, people I've never seen before. Everybody's just looking at him with concern and worry on their faces. Like, they don't know what to make of this. Of course, you also see Ephraim, who's probably really embarrassed... Also see Amy and Bright. You see Harold just even not know what to make of it. He probably, he he. A lot of these people are have concerned looks on their faces. Ephraim is just like, Dad, you had to do this, didn't you? You had to do this. Everything was fine until, like now, great. Now my like now my dad's gonna be known as like the crazy doctor. But it's Delia who goes up to her dad and just takes his hand and says. Let's go home, Dad. Ephraim, of course, follows behind them. Notice on the car, they still have a New York plate. Andy pulls up in front of the house, turns the car off, and really without anything else to say, it's like, what can he say other than, well, what did everyone think of the festival? And Ephraim's like, <laughs> no, it's not funny. And Andy's like, eh, it's a little funny. And they all kind of, it's almost like the tension, it just breaks. And it's like, what else other can you do than just laugh at the situation now that it's over? I'm going to play this because this is just, it's so nice. It's almost like that breath that they had been holding for such a long time, they just let it out and just... <sighs> yeah, it just, it's like, it's okay to laugh.
I need your help raising your sister. I can't do it alone. She gets us. Of course, while they're all laughing, <laughs> Delia decides to hand the note to uh, her dad. Like, oh, here you go. This is from my teacher. <laughs> I'm in big trouble, by the way. <laughs> and she gets out of the car. Um, I love this moment between Ephraim and Andy. This is so, so good. This is a step in the right direction. As Ephraim says... I see her too. I mean, not like you. I mean, I don't talk to her and stuff, but just like little things. Like I see her sitting down at the table with us or a song that she used to like would come on the radio and stuff like that. And I like how Andy says, I don't know what's going to happen to us. I can't say that we're going to be okay, but I do know that I need your help raising your sister. She's got us. You know, when Ephraim said, I had mom. Who does Delia have? And Andy kind of, this comes back full circle where he's, he looks at Ephraim and says, she's got us. And he says, I can't do this alone. This is good. This is a step in the right direction. Granted, we know this little nugget that we get between father and son, it's not going to smooth things over. Things aren't going to be always okay between father and son. They're going to have their blow-ups. They're going to have their miscommunication because that's how parents and teenagers are. And Ephraim, hearing that from Andy, he just, he, he, what can you say to that? So he just gets out of the car. And Andy, Andy is just kind of left there to kind of ponder things. I kind of wonder how this is going to go now that um, Harold and Andy, I mean, they always pretty much pull up to work at the same time. And it's got to be the day after the festival. So, like, how is this going to go down? As you know, this conversation is going to be awkward. I mean, is Harold going to bring it up? Is Andy going to bring it up? What? Andy heads over to Harold and Harold's like, what, no uh, bowl of sarcasm this morning that you seem to give me every morning when we pull up to, at the same time? Andy wants to thank Harold for giving his son and daughter a ride home the other night, which definitely that's, was very nice of him to do that. I mean, he was not going to leave a teenage boy and his eight-year-old sister just stranded on a street corner. And there, everyone is a town where people do for other people. Of course, now Harold has a piece of advice to give to Andy, since you are hell-bent on becoming a permanent fixture here. He explains to Andy that when he became a doctor, much like his father, he too went out of his way to be available to all people at all times. And then he realized that exhausting himself was no good for anyone. Least of all for my family who needed me the most. I like this. He says, being a small town physician is a marathon doctor, not a sprint. Basically, you got to spread yourself over a lengthy period of time. Almost like going too hard too fast and then you're going to get burnt out and then your performance is going to suffer. We're giving your all to one thing, but in other areas you kind of lag because you... you 
are putting all your energy into one thing. Like, if I were putting all my energy and everything into podcasting and then my work suffers at my job, I don't want to do that. I figure if I spread myself evenly enough, it will work both ways. And he says, if one of us is going to win this race, you are going to have to stay in it. I like this. He's accepting that Andy is planning to stick around. And he's like, look, you want to be a competitor? That's fine. And I'm happy to have you be a competitor for me. But I can't have you to compete with if you're not here. And behold the people. That is another thing. There is a line outside of Dr. Abbott's office. And why do you think that is? Because of what happened at the Fall Thaw Festival. Everybody in the town was there. Everybody saw Andy talking to nobody. So they're going to probably think, oh, that guy's cray-cray. I don't, I don't care if he's offering us free health care. The fact that he is just adds to that... The doctor's cray-cray. So they're going to jump ship from Andy and go back to Harold. Because they know Harold. They trust Harold. They've always, you know, always gone to him. He's been the only real reliable doctor other than his father and everything. So they want to go with what's familiar and what they feel is safe to them. And he says, and behold the people who had... uh, the attribute, what do you say, attribute of dogs and stayed loyal. Ah, okay, I get it. Except loyalty. Oh, I get it. Because the fact that they switched over to Andy and then they decided to come back with their tail between their legs when they witnessed the whole thing at the fall thaw. He's really rubbing his nose and like, welcome back. All is forgiven. Oh, God. Of course, we go to the office, and Edna is just, she's got her, her her shoes off, her feet up on the desk. She's flipping through some Drake magazine. I'm not sure. Oh, is that maybe something to do with, like, um, hunting ducks or something? As Andy walks in and walks past her, she's like, you hear that? That was the sound of a pin dropping. So Andy is surprised that after what happened yesterday that Edna is even still there. He's surprised that she didn't jump ship and go back to work for her son. Of course, she's like, well, you're paying me. And I like how she says, we're in this foxhole together, compadre. I like that. Edna is such a great character. She tells him, you know, don't worry about everyone else. They'll come around. They always do. And she tells him how it's sort of the nature of this place. You're up one day, you're down the next. She says, in the meantime, we have some excellent periodicals. So, like, basically, help yourself to a magazine. I'm just lounging. I'm just relaxing. And Andy's sitting in a chair, and he's, like, kind of got a, his leg up. Like, he's just kind of real quick. Like, okay. It's like they're having, like, um, they're having a little power. They're having a little, um, like a hangout or something. Just chilling. Oh, Andy picked up the magazine, Fly Rod Reel, Summer Adventures. Here we go, Mrs. Dudley. Okay, so we can get a conclusion of how this is going. Hopefully all the kids are better, on the mend at least. She came by because she wanted to take the opportunity to thank him for, you know, because he, not only does he come out to, you know, he's making the house calls, but he took her and her kids to a pharmacy. It's like, you can't get to a pharmacy. You got to wait till Tuesday. That can't happen. Your kids need their meds now, I'm taking you to a pharmacy and we're getting that stuff and you're getting your kids 
healthy. So she, he's like, well, wait a minute. That's a heck of a haul. I mean, how'd you get out here? And she explains about how as a family, they don't have much, but now we have a doctor. He understands that it was a tragedy that brought him to Everwood, but he's like, I'm not sorry that you came. You do see Andy's eyes go glassy. She is the one person that hasn't jumped ship and moved back to Dr. Abbott. And she is sticking around like, you, you are going to be my family's physician. Because you went out of your way to help us out. And like she says, we understand tragedy. We get that. How did she get there, by the way? I kind of want to know. She didn't exactly answer that question. And Annie's just standing there and Edna's like, well, at least offer her a ride home. All right, now we're heading over to the Everett High School. And Ephraim is flipping through probably another manga book as Amy comes in. Ah, this is where she calls him Ham. Okay. She's like, it's your new nickname. Welcome to it. And he's like, okay, my nickname's Adele. I am great. <laughs> she says, well, that's what everyone else will think, but we'll know that it's really short for this. She says, see, you look just like Hamlet. It says Shakespeare Hamlet newly revised version. And so who's the Hamlet? This looks, this guy on the cover looks like, um... Forrest Gump, when he was running across state lines and he had that long beard and everything. But wait a minute, then who's the... Are these different variations of... I've never read Hamlet, but I know, is it... That's what... Lion King is kind of based on the whole... The Hamlet thing with um the, the boy whose father was killed by his... The boy's uncle... And the uncle took the throne, kind of like exactly with, you know, Simba and Mufasa and Scar in The Lion King. And of course, Ephraim's like, okay, now that does not look like me. No, no, you can't deny it. Everwood finally has its own dark prince. First she uh, offered, you know, to, won't we go get some lunch? He's like, yeah, but before we get lunch, we should talk. Okay, when did this conversation take place? Because she's like, you asked your father, didn't you? And Ephraim's like, he said no. I don't think that conversation ever took place. I think he's angry because he really likes her and the fact that she's unavailable. And he kind of, I think what Bright said about the fact that she's using you is really getting to him now. And he says, well, you can't really begrudge the guy. He's trying to get out of the brain business, start a new life. And you just see Amy's distraught face. Just her heart is just breaking. Like, Andy was that one chance, that one hope. And it's almost like Ephraim's doing this to prove a point to see if the only reason she was hanging around him was to get uh, Ephraim's father to fix Colin. So it's almost like he is testing her to see if what Bright said is actually true. Well, Amy automatically goes into apology mode. Like, I'm sorry, it was silly of me to ask. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I'm sorry, Amy. You still want to get lunch? She won't even look him in the eye as she says, you know, I think I'm going to hang out here and look over some notes before class. Yep. Ephraim just packs up his stuff, his books and whatnot, and just heads out. As he's uh, walking down the um, 
past the shelves of books. He stops and he does kind of look back at her. She's just sitting there kind of hunched over and upset. And he knows that he kind of, I mean, not so much. That, I mean, he sees that she's hurting and he knows that he did that because he was trying to prove a point to himself. And you do hear her start to cry. Alright, so of course, we didn't forget that Andy has to talk to Delia's teacher. And the fact that Miss Violet's like, your daughter has a mind of her own, Dr. Brown. Well, yeah. Why are you faulting her for that? She repeatedly interrupts my lessons with questions that make very little sense. She's a curious girl. This, in addition to her inappropriate apparel, she's wearing a hat that has a Denver Nuggets, a Colorado team. What's inappropriate about that? Of course, Andy has never been to a parent-teacher thingy as he whispers to Delia. He's like, am I allowed to speak? And, of course, she whispers, you have to raise your hand. And, of course, the teacher is just rambling on and on and doesn't see this exchange between Andy and Delia. She's like, excuse me, Dr. Brown. And he's like, I'm sorry, just out of curiosity, Miss Violet. Why did the boys sit in front? Very simple. Boys are rowdy. Okay, so she can keep an eye on the boys. Only they cause more of a fuss. By having them sit in the front, she can monitor their behavior more closely. Oh, good grief. He's like, so you believe girls are genetically less rowdy, so you regulate them to the back? Why did you even hear the weirdness that's coming out of your damn mouth? That's the craziest shit I've ever fucking heard. That's me saying that. I'm sure that Andy's not far off from that uh, thought process. She's like, the term relegate, and he's like, yeah, is very appropriate. As for Delia having a mind of her own, whose mind is she supposed to have? I love how he is jumping in her shit. She's like, oh, I think you misunderstood my point. He's like, no, I don't think that I did. And of course, Miss Phyllis like, Delia, perhaps you should step outside while your father and I... Delia gets up to go, and Andy kind of pulls her by her sleeve says, No, no, she was here for the bad part. I want her to hear what I'm about to say. It's like, he is gonna jump down your fucking throat, bitch. And he explains how his daughter has been through a very traumatic year and come through it remarkably well. Of course, he says, I'd like to take more credit for that, but I can't. And he explains how she is the product of a mother who taught her about strength. Courage and independence from an early age. Of course, Andy explains how his job is to make sure she doesn't forget those lessons. And he tells her straight on, it's like, she will sit wherever you tell her to sit. But as long as she's polite about it, she can ask all the questions she wants. And he says, I'd get used to those baseball caps as for you and me. You can keep calling me in here, but next time... My daughter better have done something wrong, or you'll have one rowdy father. Like, go, Andy! She's like, this meeting is over, doctor. And Andy's like, yes, it certainly is. He gets up and leaves. Come on, Delia. And she's like, see you tomorrow, Miss Violet. All right, now we're back to the brown house. Looks like maybe dinner? Um, what, they went horse shopping? <laughs> Because like, everyone's like, where are you two been? And Andy's like, hey, Delia, you want to tell him or should I? And they went horse shopping. There's a ranch just off the highway that breeds horses. And she explains how her dad, you know, he took her there, but they just left. They didn't buy. 
Ephraim's like, ah, oh, you're finally making good on that bribe, huh? And Andy's like, you cook dinner? And he said, <laughs> Ephraim's like, yeah, well, I figure we should have meatloaf flavored meatloaf for once. Andy asks how Ephraim's hand is doing and kind of takes it in his end. I, I, he and um, Ephraim kind of lock eyes. So that's probably the first tender moment that Andy has really had with Ephraim when it comes to caring. As I guess it, like the way that his, Ephraim looked at his dad there. Like kind of a tender moment. Like, oh, thanks dad for caring about my hand. I mean, you know Ephraim's never going to say it. So Andy's like, look. I'll stay away from recipes that involve three or more ingredients. And you stay away from the first aid kit. Ah, oh, here we go with the leader of the band song. I like this song. And I like how this song ends with this episode. And Ephraim stepping up, you know, and cooking dinner for the family. That's really sweet. We get a closing Irv narration. As he says, the first fall thaw that Andy Brown and his children ever knew. S through Everwood later that night taking with it our last bit of warm autumn air not our warmth of spirit that was in the people of everwood in our hearts some broken some mending and some for the moment complete well this is sweet because you do see julia there kind of in spirit i mean she's there in ghost form they don't see her but just as ephraim said you know sometimes i imagine mom sitting there at the table with us as we sit down to dinner. And this is just, I love how the episode kind of, it, it bookended it, where at the beginning you saw kind of a chaotic, like, not, you know, first attempt at making, you know, a dinner for the kids and everything, versus them all nice, like, you know, sitting down. No one's jumping down each other's throats or anything like that. It's just, it's beautiful. It's nice to see Ephraim smile for a change so that was the episode i hope you really enjoyed it i really liked it okay i have my segment here of um the scene that stole my heart of course is the andy and mrs dudley scene as she comes in at the end after andy feels like he's lost all of his patience like they've all went back over to dr abbott it's mrs dudley who tells him that she is staying by him like you are my doctor and just you know the fact that he helped her out when she was in need and the fact that he suffered a tragedy with with his wife and everything like that that's the reason that he came to town but it's like I'm not gonna up and abandon you just because of what the townspeople are saying you went out of your way to drive all the way out to my house and you took me out to a pharmacy when I didn't have a car so he went above and beyond and it just I love just Andy's eyes just starting to tear up on the fact that she said that the moment that broke my heart of course is when Ephraim lied to Amy saying yeah I told my dad and he said no and he only did that because he wanted to test the theory that Bright had put in his head about how Amy is just using him. And that was confirmed when he's like, oh, you still want to go to lunch? And she says, she says no. Like, yep. Uh, the character that need it needs a heart this episode, of course, is Miss Violet. That was just ridiculous. 
And I loved how Andy put her in her place. Alright, so here are the episodes I will be focusing on in February. The first, Season 1, Episode 3, entitled Friendly Fire, which aired on September 30th, 2002. Andy's neighbor and friend Nina... <clears throat> excuse me, is ostracized by the townspeople when they discover she is a surrogate mother for a woman in her mid-50s. And these clumsy attempt to come <coughs> to Nina's defense backfires, but she turns to him and Ephraim for help when the baby makes an unexpected early arrival. Meanwhile, Ephraim is dealt an emotional blow with when Amy disinvites him to a party in order to gain the approval of her friends, and Delia attempts to befriend the school bully, Magilla. And the next episode I will be doing in February after that is Season 1, Episode 4, entitled The Kissing Bridge, which aired on October 7th, 2002. Dr. Brown and Dr. Abbott must put their striking differences aside to educate the town of Everwood after several of their teenage patients are diagnosed with a sexually transmitted disease. To make sensitive matters worse, Dr. Abbott has reason to suspect that his son Bright may have been intimate with one of the patients. Meanwhile, Ephraim pushes his romantic feelings aside to comfort Amy, who is distraught over not being able to go to the fall dance with her boyfriend as he is still comatose. Look forward to those two episodes in February. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. I am loving recapping these episodes and just reviewing them and just diving right into them and just I, I love the characters I love reliving these memories I haven't watched the show in quite a long time so I'm just I'm excited to just really dive deep and just fall in love with these characters all over again so everyone have a wonderful week bye bye <laughs>